Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the VentureFizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. For the 87th episode of our podcast, I interviewed Sarah Hodges, partner at Pillar. Prior to becoming a venture capitalist, Sarah spent a decade as an operator in consumer and enterprise companies like Carbonite, Runkeeper, and Smarterer. As part of the executive team at Smarterer, she oversaw business strategy, operations, and marketing. And as you may know, the company was acquired by Pluralsight in 2014, and still today, it has a rapidly growing office in the Boston tech scene. Pillar is an early-stage venture firm that is on a mission to build the next generation of anchor companies in Boston with a model that has common alignment with the founders. Some of its portfolio companies include PillPack, Desktop Metal, HomeTap, PathAI, and more. In addition to being a partner at Pillar, Sarah is also a board member at the New England Venture Capital Association and was a co-founder of Intelligently. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like Sarah's background in terms of all the operating roles she's held, including the details behind the acquisition by Pluralsight, her career path into the venture capital industry as a partner, everything you need to know about Pillar, including how the firm is differentiating itself from other investors and why they are doubling down in Boston, advice for founders who are trying to raise funding, when you should bring in someone to run marketing, plus a lot more. Okay, quick side note. As you may know, we publish lots of great stories every day on VentureFizz that share a lot of information about companies, their people, and culture. But did you know that you can get these stories delivered to your inbox every single day? All you need to do is sign up for our daily stories email and you'll be plugged in. Go to VentureFizz.com backslash email to sign up. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Sarah. Sarah, thanks so much for joining us. Of course, glad to be here. Sarah, we have a lot to talk about. Uh, obviously, you've done so much throughout your career uh, with great companies in terms of the Boston tech ecosystem, but now you're an investor at Pillar. So we have a lot to cover. So why don't we just dive in? Let's talk about your background. Like, where'd you grow up and what were you like as a kid? Uh, so I grew up in the middle of nowhere in the Central Valley in California in a little town called Merced, which now has a UC there. But when I was growing up, I kind of joked that it was farmers and Mormons and gangs and <laughs> agriculture, almond, almond farms, but um, great place to grow up as a young kid. And then I spent high school in Seattle. Um, in terms of what I was like as a kid, so there's this funny uh, tweet going around right now on Twitter that asks you to tweet something that is, describes kind of who you are today based on an experience that you had in your childhood. And so um, the first one that occurred to me was I, with a friend of mine, like kind of rallied up all the neighborhood kids when I was little and we, in her backyard, pulled together a carnival, which was really just a trampoline and beanbag toss and slip and slide Mm -hmm. and then charged admission to all the other kids. So so you're an entrepreneur. That's right. I guess I was an entrepreneur when I was little. (laughs) Now, how about college? Where'd you go to school? I went to Scripps College in Southern California. It's a women's college uh, right outside of LA. Post-grad, what'd you do after school? So my first job, so, you know, kind of all growing up, I always thought I was going to be a lawyer. I totally admired Claire Huxtable growing up. I watched a lot of the Cosby show and I had applied to law school and planned to go to law school and then totally freaked out two weeks before I graduated. And I had a good friend who was moving to Chicago. I'd never been to Chicago and I took this blind leap of faith and thought, let me go do something crazy and abandoned the law school. I deferred. At a thousand bucks, I moved to Chicago and I applied for pretty much every job under the sun. Like I had the actual want ads out 
and I um, I interviewed like the actual her. newspaper. The actual newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> I think it sounds bizarre today, but I think I was actually circling jobs. Uh, I applied at like Starbucks, and I remember having an interview at a mortgage brokerage, and I ended up working as a salesperson in a retail store, a women's clothing store that was right there downtown on Michigan Avenue in Chicago. Um, it was a, a store that had originally originated in Faneuil Hall in 1979. It was one of the original uh, pushcart vendors here in Boston and had expanded and built out a bunch of brick and mortar locations all across the country. And um, that's where I initially got my roots. And um, I think it was, when I look back at my career, probably one of the luckiest things that has ever happened to me because I met uh, Mindy Margulies, who was one of the partners there at the time, she uh, was just, is an incredible woman who took a leap of faith on me at a very young age, brought me into the business as a partner, and totally changed my trajectory personally, uh, which I never anticipated when I signed on to sell women's sweaters <laughs> in that store. Well, because you did, you helped them launch their whole like e-commerce site and, and you know, brought them to more of a modern era. I did. You know, the timing was perfect. And Mindy and I, were we always had our heads together brainstorming around, you know, what's next for the business. And I think, you know, candidly, she was probably a bit fatigued on the brick and mortar model, but it was just the right time to launch an e-commerce website. And they had built out an incredible following all around the country and had closed many of those stores at the point that I joined the business. But we were still seeing all this demand from all around the country for our merchandise. And so it felt like just a natural evolution of the business to bring it online, bring in the direct mail component. Uh, and she just, you know, gave me the room for us to run with that concept together, which was very cool. And was it that company that brought you to Boston? It was indeed. So when we decided to transition online, we also decided to close all the brick and mortar locations except for one. We still, at that time, we had a store in Copley Place. And so I moved here to Boston. I'd visited a couple of times and we had a partnership with the Fairmont Copley Hotel. So I'm, you know, 23 years old staying at the Fairmont Copley Hotel in Copley Place. <laughs> right. I thought I can move here. This sounds good. Uh, and so I moved here and ultimately we ended up closing down that store and opening a small shop on Newburgh where we ran all the operations for the online business. And then you segue into, you know, companies that people certainly will, uh, will recognize first being Carbonite. So what was the stage of Carbonite when you joined the company? So the company, uh, I think it was probably around 80 employees when I joined. I met the company through a recruiter who reached out to me cold on LinkedIn. Uh, I was still at Pablo Real at the time, the, the sweater company. And I didn't really have any intent of leaving. I wasn't actively looking, but I think we were at a natural point where we were we were ready to wind down the business and maybe didn't even know it yet. And so when Carbonate came knocking, it was perfect timing for me. Um, I was pretty eager to, we were a small team at Pablo Real, so I was eager to get into a company where I could learn from other people, see a business operating at scale. And Carbonite was a rocket ship when I came in at that moment. The business was just growing like crazy. I interviewed for a role on the marketing team. And, you know, quite frankly, I don't think I really knew my way around the inside of a company. So the fact that I even ended up in this marketing role, which now is such a good fit for my skill set, uh, all kind of happened by chance. But I remember interviewing with Swami Kumarasan, who was the head of marketing then, and Ivana Floater, and just thinking, these people are so smart. 
I want to be surrounded by them all the time and soak up what they're doing and learn from them. It was a totally unsexy business. It was online backup. And so, but it was consumer at the time though. It was consumer at the time. And, you know, consumer was definitely more relatable for me as an individual, but, um, you know, it wasn't like joining Uber or, uh, you know, joining another company that, that feels really flashy and cool. It was, uh, but it was a team. The team was just really compelling to me. And so I joined the company and just saw that engine churning and we were acquiring customers like crazy. And I got an inside look at a really great growth story. And obviously, you know, Carbonite's still around today and, you know, yeah. out there doing really well. So yeah. and then you went uh, earlier stage. So you went to a company that was one of the first apps in the iOS Apple app store, that being RunKeeper. So how did you get connected with Jason and head up marketing there? So again, I wasn't looking at all uh, to change roles, but I think in the back of my mind, I was hungry for a, a bigger platform. I had been owning marketing analytics at Carbonite and I thought, you know, how cool would it be to be able to own all of marketing inside an early stage startup? And so I, I met with Jason Jacobs, um, not intending to interview for any sort of role, but just intending to meet someone interesting from the community. And if you know Jason Jacobs, he has these eyes that kind of bore into your soul when you start talking to him. And, um, you know, I think he has that really incredible founder quality of his mission and vision and passion were totally contagious. And so you start talking to him and just think, man, I want to be part of this. I want to be part of what they're building. And, um, you know, I was at that time wired around data, uh, certainly was sitting inside marketing, but I was really passionate about data and Runkeeper really just had a pretty compelling story on that front. Such a big user community already. Um, you know, the company already had millions of users by the time I joined. They hadn't spent a single dollar on marketing. And so wow, as a marketer, it was kind of a cool, it was, you know, it was unheard of. And uh, it was just as a playground for me coming in at that stage. Yeah. So then Smarter, uh, so where, where, was, where was the stage of that company? And, uh, you know, here's another success story further down the path. So what was your role within that company? Sure. So Smarter was at the time a consumer focused company. We had a machine learning algorithm that in 10 questions, 60 seconds or less could quantify any professional skill. And um, the original vision for the company was, you know, you're out interviewing people, but it's really hard to know which skills do they actually have. And so um, Dave Balter, who is my now husband and founded the company at the time, co-founded the company, really just thought if there's a way for us to quantify this that is totally objective, it'll make life easier for candidates, it'll make life easier for employers. It turns out a lot of people are fibbing on their resumes and they don't want an objective quantifiable score around how good they are at something. And so I think um, I came into the business when the company had already been chugging along for maybe a year, a year and a half, uh, and had really been still focused on that consumer direction. I think through a lot of experimentation, we realized the real promise was on the enterprise side and on helping around helping companies understand which skills do their employees have today where do they need to skill up? And then what's the training content that you could prescribe in order to help meet that gap? Um, I came in initially to run marketing, but it was a true startup. You know, it was a small and scrappy team. And so did whatever we needed at any given moment in time. So I think there were times where I was running marketing, other times where I was running, you know, operations and client strategy. We all just were wearing many hats through that, the arc of that business. And it was such a successful transition as far as the business model where you started getting large corporations using your platform to the point where 
plural site. And, and actually your husband, Dave was on our podcast and shared some yeah. of background story on this moment where, you know, it sounded like there was some times where you're trying to figure out well, what are we doing next? And then, you know, plural site, it just seemed to be a very natural, perfect fit. It was incredible. I think, you know, we met them in a moment where we were really starting to see traction inside the enterprise with some very big companies. And um, we were excited about that. But when we met Pluralsight, they already had a really expansive platform. So they had tons of SMB and enterprise customers. Pluralsight was an online learning company. We were a test and kind of assessment company. And so when we met them, we really immediately saw the power of bringing these two sides together, assessments and online learning. And I think beyond that, we met partners who shared our mission and vision and culturally just felt so aligned with the team. And a lot of companies aren't that lucky when they meet potential acquirers. But for us, it was, you know, the moment was right, but also the team and the vision, the vision were all shared. And so it felt like this is a company that we would be happy to roll into and we would have a much bigger platform to plug our assessments into. And so, um, you know, the impact overall of what we're building is going to just be that much bigger. Yeah, now it's been a, an amazing acquisition, not only for Pluralsight, because obviously it was a component that led them to the path of going public uh, last year, but where it really has had an impact as it relates to kind of the conversation we're having is the fact that they've continued to invest in their operations in Boston. So it's not like a product that they either, you know, Aqua hired the team or it was a product that they just wanted the tech and not the team. It's been, you know, a growing, meaningful part of their operation. Yeah, I think that's exciting to see, you know, um, following the acquisition, I ended up, I owned kind of the integration of our team into the broader company. And then I was really the last woman standing trying to find a home for myself. And I ended up joining the management team to lead people operations. And the company was doubling in size at that point. And I think there was a real question around what is the future of Boston? How does Boston play out in the longer term as part of Pluralsight's story? And so, um, you know, for me, I've been out of the company for uh, a few years now, but it's just been really exciting to see the business double down here locally and really grow the team here. Now, going to your entrepreneurial roots, like you've done other things too, like Intelligently was something that you created. Uh, you were, you know, uh, part of the advisory team at, at Flybridge before your current role. So, like, how, how did you find time to do those things <laughs> in addition to, you know, kind of these roles you've had within companies? I think, you know, it, it's all about surrounding yourself with really smart people and, you know, just striving for a sense of balance. I, we were working a lot, you know, realistically, I think at that moment in time, Dave and I co-founded Intelligently together. I was working at Smarter and um, there was a lot going on. We were getting up in the morning and we were working from seven in the morning until, you know, 11 or 12 at night and taking a quick breath for air on the weekends. But it was a pretty hard drive at the time. Um, but, you know, on the intelligently side, I think we stood that company up originally. We had a ton of help from volunteers and people from the community who saw what we were building. So the, the vision behind intelligently was really creating a place where people who were interested in growing startups could learn from people who'd done it before. And so we brought in people like Dharmesh Shah and David Cancel and uh, you know Larry Kim to teach classes about what they knew about building startups. And I think it was such an energizing mission for us personally. And it was so powerful and so cool to see people connect in that environment and learn from each other that that just keeps you going. 
But I think over time, as that business grew and we shifted toward this model around helping new managers inside scaling companies learn, you know, the fundamental skills they needed to succeed, we hired a team. And so we had a couple of executive directors in that business, all who put their own imprint on the company and all who really carried the torch and did a lot of the heavy lifting and making that company what it ended up being. So it really was, we had a big group of, of pretty impressive, incredible people who were, who were running things behind the scenes. That's awesome. Well, let's uh, kind of fast forward a little bit to where you are today. So you're a partner at Pillar. Um, Before we get into the weeds of Pillar, a common question that I see out there, whether it's asked directly to me or just people are curious about is the path into venture. So, um, so, so how did you, you know, end up in a role as a venture capitalist? On accident. Uh, (laughs) I I had no intent of joining a VC firm. And I actually had a few people ask me when I resigned from Pluralsight, you know, what are you, what are you thinking about doing next? Could venture be a direction you'd head in? And I said, no, absolutely not. It's not for me. I'm a builder. (laughs) I I build companies. That's what I want to do. And um, I got some great advice from Mike Traiano. I really, I, I had a hard time pinning down what I wanted to do next after Pluralsight. And I talked to Mike, who's a good friend and mentor of mine. And he said, well, you know, look back on your career. What have you been really passionate about? Uh, and when I looked back on, you know, the, the different chapters I've lived through, I think one was I loved the community building that came through that intelligently experience. I loved being able to connect founders with talent or people with advisors, just see that mutual, mutual connection and then the spark that happens when they come together. And I think, um, you know, the other things for me, smarter was not easy. From the outside, it looks like it was a fantastic exit, but there were all of the typical startup highs and lows. And we had a great team of advisors and investors who really helped us along the way, particularly through the acquisition. And so I wanted to be able to kind of pay it forward and bring that advice to other founders who were going through similar challenges. And then, you know, the third piece was I do love building and I do love creating a brand and a business from scratch and seeing it really grow and thrive. And so, um, you know, I was having a hard time finding all of those things in one opportunity. And then I happened to meet Jamie Goldstein, who was the founder, is the founder of Pillar. And I met him about two weeks after he launched the fund, really as a one-man band with our co-founding CEO group. And he started to describe this role where, um, you know, he was looking for something, someone to run our platform and all the capabilities that our startups need post-capital investment. But then there was also an opportunity to invest on behalf of the firm. And so for me, it was this kind of perfect hybrid that checked all three of those boxes. And I think, um, you know, the number one thing that I was optimizing for in my next role was just team and people. And Jamie and I spent about three months together before I officially joined Pillar. And I just thought, this is somebody who has a ton of integrity, who I really respect and admire, who I can see myself coming to work with every day. And I think we can create and build something really special together. And so for me, at the end of the day, it was, yeah, I can check all these boxes, but it's about team. And, um, you know, I think on the flip side for Jamie, just your question was around how do people break into venture? I think what I, I think what was appealing about me to Jamie was I'd built a pretty extensive community through Intelligently. So we met about 4,000 leaders through the different iterations of the business from a couple of hundred companies across Boston. And so I knew a lot of folks in Boston, startup leaders, um, you know, 
senior leaders inside those companies. And then beyond that, I'd had that experience of building a couple of high growth companies in Boston that, you know, fortunately all had great exits, but I'd seen the downside of those companies too. I'd seen them take those turns for the worst and then recover. And uh, I think Jamie thought that would be valuable experience to bring to our companies here at Pillar. So what, what is Pillar's you know, focus? Like what, what are, you know, the stage of investment, the types of companies that you're seeking? So we're the first capital in for founders who are building the next generation of pillar companies here in Boston. So a very strong focus on Boston. We really believe that this is the time for our region to thrive. I think, you know, when we look back at the last decade, it was really focused on mobile consumer things that have been very strong out West. And when we look ahead now where the opportunity is, around AI and ML and robotics and um, blockchain, synthetic biology. These are all real core strengths of the Boston region. And so we're doubling down on Boston and making our investments here uh, in all of those categories. So very early stage, uh, first-time founders, serial entrepreneurs, just people who are really unstoppable and have a big vision for building something meaningful here in town. I mean, there's so much going on in the Boston tech scene. And like, I, I think what I'm excited about is that it's known for hard tech, right? The, the companies that are being built are like extraordinary. I mean, they're just yeah. like amazing as far as what they're trying to tackle. Yeah. I, I, I remember, you know, it's been about two and a half years now since I joined our firm. And my background is largely in enterprise SaaS and consumer and workforce management. And I remember... Our, in our first partner meeting, as we were reviewing some of the companies that we were considering and people we were working with, I, it was mind-blowing to me. Um, because, you know, when you're inside a company, you're so focused on one thing, you don't get exposure to all these incredible things that are around the corner that are, you know, two to 10 years out. And so it was just a really interesting experience to get a look, this broader look at all of the innovation that's happening here in Boston. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, like just if you look at the portfolio of investments from Pillars so far, it's, I mean, the founders are all amazing. Um, you know, like coming like Path AI, like, I mean, that could yeah. just you know change the whole, you know, world of, of health and, and okay. making sure that people are able to, uh, you know, hopefully correct things like cancer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the really cool thing, right? You're investing in companies that are changing people's lives and, uh, but Path AI is a great example. Andy Beck is just a tremendous founder, and uh, I think we're just so lucky to be part of that. What other uh, portfolio companies are you uh, directly working with? So HomeTap is a company I'm really excited about. You you might know Jeff Glass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's an amazing idea. When I heard, uh, so he uh, Mike Troiano had him on his podcast, ah, yeah. and I and I heard the idea. I'm like, that's such a great idea. Yeah, it's an incredible company. I mean, Jeff is a, is a serial founder. He was at Bank Capital Ventures. I mean, he just has a wealth of experience. And um, he's someone I've known personally for a long time and is just a person of really high integrity. And so, you know, when I heard he was doing something new, I thought, my God, we've got to be part of this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I know this is going to be big. And there, so what they do is uh, for for people who own, own homes and have a lot of their wealth built up in their homes, HomeTap buys a slice of that equity to give them cash today for the important life milestones they need to fund. So you've got kids who are going to college, you want to renovate your kitchen, but a lot of that wealth is locked up in your home. And so they help you unlock that. And then, um, you know, take a piece of that down the line when you sell your home. And so they're enabling you that freedom today 
by making that investment. So really cool company. And when you look at how big the housing market is and how many people that impacts, you really have so much of their personal wealth tied up in their homes. It's, it's pretty neat to think about. So, so is this the, the proper way of like an analogy? So like, you know, with a company, right? If I raise capital from pillar, you're going to take a percentage of my company, right? And then I own the, the rest of it or the employees get shares, whatever the case may be. Same thing with a consumer in their home, right? So I could sell a percentage of my home to HomeTap and obviously get the cash now. But when that home is sold in the future, you know, whatever percentage I own left is what I'm going to reap as far as hopefully a, a successful higher outcome of the sale of the home. And then HomeTap will take their percentage plus obviously the, the benefits or the profits. Broadly speaking, yes. So, yeah, broadly speaking, HomeTap's kind of giving you cash today and then taking a piece of the overall home price in the end when you sell it long term. Got it. Okay. So, it's a little yeah. bit simpler that way. Got it. Okay. Um, now, w- what has surprised you? So, you mentioned you've been with Pillar for over two years now. Yeah. So, what has been the biggest surprise being on the other side of the table as an investor versus, you know, being an operator? I think a couple of things. So, uh, you know, one is just the whole premise on which our firm was founded was this idea that uh, VCs and founders are often quite misaligned in, uh, you know, everything from terms to the way we work together that, you know, we're in, in theory optimizing for different outcomes. And um, I haven't felt this on the startup side. I think I've been really fortunate that I had some great investors. I'd had the opportunity to work with some great investors. So Google Ventures and Boston Seed and True Ventures were all investors and smarter and rethink. And they were just incredibly supportive to us. And they were game-changing for us, truly, like helping us get across the line in that acquisition and connecting with us with important partners and relationships. And so um, when I came into the business and you know, was talking to more and more founders around how they regarded venture and getting a pulse on that, I think it was surprising to me, which is kind of unbelievable given how much has been written and is out there about some of the horror stories around venture capital. You know, I think VCs have developed this reputation and, and sometimes rightly so for um, not always being founder friendly. And I think, you know, part of what Jamie wanted to create when he created our firm was a firm that was structurally aligned with founders that didn't just kind of talk about alignment, but delivered on it structurally. And now I get it. Now that I've been in, in this world, I get it a bit more. Um, I think the other thing that surprised me was how much of this business is really about people and not so much about money. Um, You know, the money matters and ultimately we're all in business to produce returns for our investors. But at the earliest stages, it's all about humans and companies are built by people. And, um, you know, you can make an investment in a company that looks a certain way on day zero. But if you've ever built a company before, you know that 12 months later, it's going to look totally different. But the people who are leading the company are still the same. And so, um, you know, at Pillar, we spend a lot of energy looking for those people that we think are just have a blow through walls mentality and are curious and self-aware and have that capacity to create momentum around the company. And so a lot more of what we do is just about the people piece of things and less about, yeah, there's got to be a great market and a big opportunity there. But at the end of the day, you have to be in business with the right people. But also one of the differentiators of Pillar was this whole founding CEO's part of the firm, the actual firm's creation, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think when we, when we consider what it means to truly be aligned with founders, there are a couple of things we think about. So one is we've got this incredible group of 17 co-founding CEOs who've built 
multi-billion dollar companies. So it's uh, Stephen Nearish from Wayfair and Jason at DraftKings and TripAdvisor and just really a, a pretty impressive powerhouse group of companies here in town. And, you know, I think our thinking there was if we want to create the next generation of pillar companies in Boston, who better to tap for their experience than the people who already did it before? And um, they're significant owners in our fund. So they really have a stake in helping our companies. I think they'd all be doing it anyway. And they're all people who are really invested in seeing the next generation of founders in Boston, but they are active board members and advisors and are sometimes the earliest customers for our companies, giving them feedback about their ideas. So, so they're really involved. Um, I think the other pieces of the alignment model, one is we are uh, we offer to buy common stock in any company where we're leading the deal. And that really came from a place of saying, you know, founders are putting sweat equity into their companies. We should be totally aligned. Like we should have the same outcome as they do. And so um, that was that has been a powerful message for founders that just shows them that we've got to trust each other throughout this journey. So that was a big piece of the puzzle. And then I think the final piece of that alignment model is really just, we don't expect anybody to have all the answers. Part of what I'm doing at Pillar is thinking about what's everything else you need beyond just the money to make this company thrive. And so we're doing our best to really deliver on that by finding all the people and resources that you need to, to really build a company beyond the money itself. So what's the, what's the advice you give to, to founders in terms of getting on your radar? Like how, how, does, how does someone get the attention to you know, grab coffee with you or uh, have an opportunity to come in and meet? I mean, the best way to meet is always through a warm intro, because if we both have a shared connection in common and that person is someone who I trust and you trust, that's a great, you know, jumping off point. Uh, and then the other advice I'd have is think about whether I'm the person you really want to meet. You know, I don't, I think oftentimes founders really are just looking for an investment and it's easy to say when you're the investor, but I think you want to be picky about the money you take. This is a long-term relationship. And so invest in figuring out which firms are making investments in your category, which partners are passionate about what you're building and then make sure, you know, when you're reaching out to people, you're finding the right people from that starting point who you could really see yourself being in business with long-term you're interviewing us just as much as we're interviewing you because it's a mutual relationship that lasts for quite a long time. And what do you look at? So when, if, if you do, you know, schedule a meeting with, with an entrepreneur, like what are you trying to get out of that meeting? What are the core things that you look for? I think those qualities I mentioned around the person, you know, it, it's, it's relatively easy to understand if there is, I don't want to say it's easy because certainly like some of the best and biggest companies started out as something entirely different, but I don't think the hardest part is to assess whether or not there's a compelling market opportunity in front of you. The harder piece is, is this the person to do it? Um, and so the things I'm looking for are, um, is this person resilient? Can they, pick themselves up when they've encountered a hard challenge. And actually one of our co-founding pillars is Corey Thomas, the CEO of Rapid7 and his chief people officer in their company is Christina Luconi. And we met with them because we're, we think about this a lot, you know, how do we find the right people? And a great point that Christina had on this front was you don't just want somebody who has shown that they can pick themselves up. You want somebody who's shown that they can pick themselves up over and over and over again, because that's what building a startup really is. And so, you know, we're looking back at people's histories and seeing maybe you've never built a company before, but have you shown that resilience and that capacity to blow through walls in your past? 
Um, I think similarly, you know, we're looking for people who are very self-aware, who um, have shown that they're receptive to advice from other people. They know how to seek out really smart advisors, but they balance that with conviction in their own decisions. You know, the last thing you want is someone who just takes in tons and tons of advice, but then can't make a decision, that kind of analysis paralysis. And so uh, I'm always looking for people who are aware that they don't know everything, but not afraid to make, make the hard calls and have conviction in their decision-making. So that piece is really compelling. And then I think the final, I, I mentioned this idea of being able to create momentum around the business when you're a startup founder, you have to um, get sales done. You have to hire a team. You have to, you know, really just create that energy around the company. And so I'm always looking for people who've shown that capacity to pull other people into their midst. Like some people want to get on your bus and be part of what you're building. Um, you know, who were you able to attract as an early stage founder when you had very little money? You know, whether it was advisors or team members, because you were just so compelling and they heard your story and wanted to be part of it. Absolutely. And just going back to the culture piece, like Corey and Christina, what they have done with Rapid7 and the yeah. culture that they've created, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, it, it is just an excellent company. Yeah. Now, um, going back to the roots of your experience marketing, uh, so at what point should a founder be thinking about bringing in someone to actually lead marketing, uh, you know, title agnostic, you know, it could be VP CMO, but, uh, it's really like, at what point should the marketing function become real for the company? Yeah, I think, first of all, I think you should be thinking about marketing from day zero and marketing starts with really understanding your customers and understanding where they're feeling pain and then having a good grasp on how you're solving that pain. And at the end of the day, marketing is just about your ability to convey that. How am I solving your pain for you? And so um, I think everybody in the company has to have that mentality of really listening to customers, being connected to customers at their core and knowing how to articulate how what you're doing is really helping them and solving for them. And it's not about what you do. It's about what they need. Um, so I think that's just got to be in the DNA of the company from very early on. I think, um, you know, it, it depends for each company when you need to hire somebody to lead marketing. I think certainly when you've gotten those initial customer proof points that help you understand, yeah, there's something really here. We really are solving a problem. People are giving us some good feedback that we're headed in the right direction. Either, you know, our pilot customers are validating that for us or, you know, people are kind of kicking on the product and, it seems like what they're saying is validating what we're building. Um, I think when you're starting to think about scaling that on a grander scale, that's when it might make sense to hire someone full-time in-house. Uh, you certainly can get support on the consulting side before then as you know, a sounding board or somebody to help you, you know, patch it together with popsicle sticks and tape until you're ready for a full, full on marketer. But I mean, you said title agnostic, but the other word of caution I'll throw in here is, um, you know, don't pay a little bit of attention to the title. I think I do see people bringing in this whole C-suite of executives in an early stage startup. And it can be, it can be a great way to bring people in and like give them a compelling title, but your company's going to grow and everybody inside that business is going to evolve. And, you know, you don't know what that evolution is going to look like in the early days. So leave yourself some room and find people who are open to knowing that like their roles may shift and change over time. That is great, great feedback. So going back to my, you know, recruiter background, yeah. it definitely was uh, like, I'd always like, let's keep 
title to the side. You're looking for someone with a specific background. So we're just going to call it head of product, head of marketing. Once we kind of settle on the person that we're going to bring in, then figure out what's the appropriate title based on that person. Oftentimes, it was like director of of marketing, right? Because if you're a startup, you're going to have to have so many you know, different pieces of the pie that you're going to be leading. I think that's great advice. Yeah. yeah. Now, what about the Boston tech scene? Obviously you guys are like, you know, super focused and in investing back into the ecosystem. So obviously it's a kind of a, a, a moot point as far as your level of excitement in, in the ecosystem, but what are you seeing? Like, are there companies outside of your portfolio that you find really fascinating? Yeah. I mean, I feel like the energy, I don't know, I've been building startups in Boston now for something like 13, 14 years. I have never felt this level of energy and momentum in Boston. Like truly, I just feel like uh, our region is totally heating up right now. And um, I think part of it is because of what I mentioned around you, that some of the technology and some of the areas in which we're really strong are kind of at the forefront of innovation right now. I think also we're seeing a ton of companies grow up and we're seeing more big companies in our region and they're throwing off talent and future founders. And that's really exciting. You know, PillPack was just acquired by Amazon. PillPack is one of our portfolio companies. Um, you know, I think there's just, there are more big companies, more energy, more talent in the ecosystem than we've ever seen before. So I think that's really exciting in terms of uh, other startups that I have an eye on. Uh, Janet Komenos is someone I've known for a long time. She's the CEO of Spotted. Mm-hmm. They build models around risk profiles for celebrities that brands are endorsing. Uh, I think she's just a total powerhouse. I've, she's one of the strongest salespeople I've ever met in my entire life. Mm-hmm. So I just continue to watch that business really closely. And I think it's been awesome to see how much progress they've made in such a short amount of time. And um, she's a great team builder and ha- is creating the seeds of a really interesting culture there at their company. I think 4JI, Jennifer Lum's company, um, you know, unstructured data is this huge challenge for so many companies. And so they're bringing a structured approach to kind of making sense of unstructured data. Um, Jennifer's working on that with Jim Crowley. I think that's an exciting company to watch for sure. Um, I'd say, you know, Jennifer and Janet, I know well, a little bit from afar, I've always been an admirer of the Salsify team. I think Mm. um, in general, I have seen a lot of really interesting founders spin off from that original Indeca Mafia. Oh, it's amazing. (laughs) Steve Papa, like that whole team had Indeca, just amazing. Right. I, Scott Kirsner at the Nantucket conference this year, I had the uh, chance to moderate a panel he pulled together with Steve Papa and some of those founders. And I just, I was like, I want to hear everything about what was happening inside that company because so many of those founders are now building such interesting companies. You've got the Toast team and uh, a bunch of others that are just, you know, Zayas. companies to watch. Right. Exactly. Select. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then Steve's building another company. So it's, I mean, Parallel Wireless. Yeah, right. Um, the toast, and, yeah. toast is huge. <laughs> like huge. They are a massive huge. company now. Huge. I think, you know, and I, I, I just think it's awesome. They've got a lot of great people on the management team there. Um, you know, I think that's one of those companies that if I had seen that company in its early days, I don't know if I would have known what a giant it has become, but I think they've been really smart about their growth. And I've seen some of their recent product announcements and I just think they're right on the money in terms of how they're expanding the business. 
So, so what's a, not that a week is typical for you. Cause I know it's lots of moving pieces <laughs> and parts, but, but what, like, what, like, what, how do you manage your time? Like, do you have any like things that are like your favorite productivity hacks that you follow? I wish I need a productivity hack. <laughs> I wish I had a productivity Please help. <laughs> right. I think so. Um, one thing that I am, so we do, uh, all of our partners and our team, we do one-on-one reviews with each other, um, you know, at least annually where we sit down and we talk to each other about some of the things we're doing well and then some of the things we'd like to see from each other and improvements and in ways we could be better partners and better team members. And one of the pieces of feedback I got this year was that I have got to block off more time for strategic thinking because I tend to find myself in kind of meeting after meeting. And so um, I've tried to block off two days a week in the morning until 1 p.m. for just being able to do that deep thinking and to be able to pick my head up and think about where are we going next, what are the big things we need to be thinking about as a firm. Inevitably, a lot of that time gets eaten into every week, but I at least start from a place of blocking off and, and trying to make it happen. But um, I think that's one of the most helpful. I think also, you know, the other thing I've been doing recently is just trying to shorten my meetings. You know, if I'm meeting somebody from for the first time, I think we can get a good sense for each other very easily in 30 minutes, not an hour. And then if it makes sense for us to follow up and there's some way we can be helpful to each other, okay, then let's make that a follow-up item or a follow-up point. So just um, being more mindful about how much time I'm spending when with who. But that's the hardest thing about this business is, you know, it's all about the people and there are so many interesting people to meet. So <laughs> it ends up, that, that ends up beating my blocked off calendar days. So what do you like to do outside of work? So until recently, I've got, I'm suffering from an injury right now, but I love to work out. Uh, And I, so I spent a lot of time doing that. My good friend, Katie Burke is the chief people officer at HubSpot and she's my workout buddy. And then outside of working out, so my husband, Dave hooked me on the band fish when we started dating many years ago. I think he's been to a couple hundred concerts uh, in our first year dating which will sound absurd. We went to 16 fish concerts together. So somehow we managed to like hold down day jobs and also go on summer tour together. (laughs) So so at least a couple times a year, you'll find me at a fish show, which I think, you know, when you're working really hard and your head's down all the time, it is great to go somewhere where you can just totally let loose and dance like your mom and dance like no one's watching you. And that's what fish shows are for me. So we go to a lot of fish shows. And they still have an incredible following. Didn't they sell out like a, a huge number of shows at Madison Square Garden? Like, Oh my God. Yeah, it was incredible. It was the Baker's Dozen. We were there. <laughs> you were there for, okay, I figured. I'm like, I bet you they were there. <laughs> of course, they're coming to Fenway this summer. We'll be back again. They've never sounded better. So that's my, that's my guilty pleasure. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, pillar is the, yeah. the team's growing you're expanding so what, what do you like what you know here's an opportunity for people to get into yeah. venture if they want to want that type of opportunity so what's uh, what are you looking for like what are the types of roles that you have available yeah so we are almost doubling our team we, we are doubling our team so there are five of us now it's me uh jamie who founded our fund my partner russ wilcox who was the ceo of e-inc and then parker mckee our investing associate and katie mulligan our platform associate so we have five open roles right now, two on the investing side. So uh, one is a principal and then one is a principal focused on computational bio and agriculture, some areas that we're really interested in right now. And then um, the other roles, we have a summer associate role 
And then two roles that I'm really excited about. One is uh, a head of business development and one is a head of ecosystem. So when we kind of stepped back and looked at our portfolio and thought about our own experiences building companies, the two things that stood out to us as accelerators were customers and talent. And so those two roles will really be focused. The head of business development will be focused on customer introductions and opening those doors for our portfolio. And the head of ecosystem will be focused on helping us connect with those future founders and senior leaders who really will build those pillar companies in Boston. So, um, you know, you, I, I think for all of these roles, we're interested in diversity. We're interested in people who have really different networks from ours and different perspectives from ours. And um, I'll say, you know, neither Russ nor I come from a traditional investing background. So two of our three partners. Uh, and so the people who fill these roles don't necessarily have to have an, a, a kind of stereotypical venture profile either. We're really interested in people with experience building companies and who have built great communities around themselves. Yeah, no, it's the, uh, you know, the opportunities in venture now, it's just so much different as far as the past of how people get there versus years ago when you either needed the investment banking MBA or a successful multi-exit founder to get one of those uh, opportunities right. where now it's uh, it's it's very different. So right, I wouldn't be here. Well, Sarah, thanks so much for taking the time for sharing all you know about your background and the great companies that you helped uh, help see you know the end results and obviously the great work you're doing as an investor now. Uh, thanks to you and all you've done for the Boston ecosystem, Keith. It's a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.